Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Christopher Williams is a Nashville songwriter. His most recent record, called We Will Remember, is based on the book of Joel. You have never heard a better concept album based on a minor prophet. Christopher Williams, thank you so much for, for being here. I I saw you at the local show a few weeks ago, and you were playing a few songs from, from your new record, mm-hmm. We Will Remember. Yeah. Um, and and immediately I thought, I want to I want to hear more about this writing process because there were some really interesting things that you were describing, some limitations that were sort of semi semi-arbitrary, let's say, about yeah. that you uh, were that you imposed on yourself or, and or were imposed on you. So I, I want to get to that in a minute. Um, I, I really, I really, the main thing I want to talk about in this conversation is the idea of those limits and how they made it, um, what they did for your creative process. This is a podcast sure. about the creative process, mm-hmm. about how, how things get written. And so I, I want to get to that. First, I want to talk about the big picture, though, of, of where – the the record we will remember came from. I love this record, by the way. I've been oh, listening to it a lot you. since awesome. I, I didn't even know about it till I, till I saw it at, yeah. at the local show, and I've been listening to it ever since. Um, but but tell us about the big picture here, you know, and, and the book that it's related to, and, and actually two books it's related to. Yes. Uh, so the we will remember is my twelfth album, and it kind of came on the heels of uh, my eleventh, which was a record called Gather, which right. was all about community and kind of pushing back on. I love fear. that one too, by the way. Um, thank you. And so when I came time to write this record, uh, We Remember is a – I was commissioned to write this album, um, 12 songs, uh, two per chapter of my friend Yako's book called The Millennial Narrative. So he came to me and said, I want you to write 12 songs to accompany my book. Yako uh, Hammond. Y- right? Yeah, Yako Hammond. He's, he's a professor at Vanderbilt. And so his book called The Millennial Narrative had six chapters, and he said, I want you to write two songs per chapter. And the book, uh, The Millennial Millennial Narrative, is about the journey of the book of Joel and why the book of Joel, the Old Testament book of Joel, is a uh, piece of scripture that he believes any generation can step into, regardless Mm -hmm. of age, uh, anything. So the importance of that book. So uh, he kind of came to me and said, I don't I, – I, he was actually internationally traveling the entire time. So we had only conversations over email and, and FaceTime. But he kind of set up this, this – uh, he was free in what he told me to do, but also there were some rules that I had going okay. into it. So he uh, wrote the check, and so I had to follow the rules, basically, <laughs> is how it worked. Yeah. And he said, uh, because of the nature of the book, the millennial narrative is about the Book of Joel, but it's also why the church needs to adapt um, what they're doing as a body, because they're, they are slowly finding themselves dying out, and that is because the millennials are not going to church. Mm-hmm. And so the idea being the church needs to adapt what they're doing to not necessarily attract millennials to them, but to step alongside and walk and journey with them. So in that context, he said, I want you to write these 12 songs. The, the sort of the basic rules were they need to be congregational. Uh, there can be no gender language. Uh, 
Um, uh, uh, there can be no hope until songs five or six. Okay. Because of the nature of the book of Joel, it is four plagues of locusts come and they wipe everything out in the first three verses. <laughs> and then the first half of it is all about the devastation of the locusts. Yeah. And, um, and then the second half is God's call to us to come together as community, to mourn those things together, and then the accountability that comes along with that. Oh. So the rules that he set up were, were beautiful, um, but super challenging because I, it's hard to write song. I mean, for, it, it's hard to write songs without hope, I have found. Mm-hmm. It's hard to write something when you know the hope that comes through the Lord to not be able to necessarily write about that mm-hmm. was a ch- super challenge. Flannery O'Connor said, "People, people without hope don't write novels." Yeah, yes. Um, novels a lot longer than a song. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's that's a okay. Yeah, sorry, no, sorry that, to no, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and and then the congregational idea was totally different, something different for me because I've been a song, singer songwriter kind of folky guy for yeah. my whole career. So thinking kind of shifting everything just kind of got shifted in my writing process. Mm. And uh, one of the beautiful things that I realized going into it, which is uh, obviously different than writing a novel or writing a piece by yourself, is the idea of of co-writing. And I realized I was stepping into this process of having to write 12 songs on the heels of a, a year after my previous record and I realized wow I have nothing here I feel like I have nothing to offer is um, it your, just the well was dry and, yeah, yeah absolutely felt like I wrote songs about fear I wrote songs about community I wrote songs about loss like I, I've done all how am I going to do this in in a very short timeline <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which uh, is not always advisable to go that <laughs> route uh so I realized pretty quickly I was going to need to invite friends in in the same way, invite community in, in the same way that Joel calls us to. Of uh-huh. we are we're called to do this together, not to mm-hmm. do it alone. And so I brought different friends in to help me kind of craft these songs. But and the rules kind of came into play when I sat down with someone to co-write, and that I would sit down with, okay, here is our text from Joel. These are the passages. These are the verses that we're looking at. And then here's two pages of notes from each chapter of Yako's book. Yeah. General themes, words that jumped out that he used, uh, phrases. And I would sit down with each person and say, here's the passage, and here are the notes and the themes, and let's go. Like, it was just kind of a journey together. And then, oh, by the way, here's all the rules. We can't have any hope. We can't use any gender language. It needs to be singable. It needs to use, like, four chords and not not any more than that, because I want anyone to be able to play the song. So there, there was a lot guiding that time, and, and it was a beautiful journey, but also a really, really challenging one to have that many rules. Yeah. Do I remember that you, one of your rules was you had to write them in order? Uh, It was not a rule. It was more of a self-imposed rule. Yeah. And the reason being uh, that I felt like to follow that journey of the Book of Joel, I felt like I couldn't like write song 10 and then go back to one. Mm -hmm. Although they definitely did influence each other as I was writing them. Like, oh, 
okay, I said this here, I need to go back and insert that here just to make it tie together. One one of the hardest things about making albums, I think, is the sequencing process, which Mm -hmm. as an author, you probably don't have that of like, you write the chapters in order, that's what you do. But when you write a collection of songs and record them, then you have to look at that body of work and say, how am I gonna make, and I'm, I'm old school in this way, and I would imagine you probably are as well of like, how am I going to make this a body of work that flows from song one to 12 mm-hmm. and flows and ebbs and takes people on a journey. And that, I think that art is lost a lot uh-huh. these days, but the beauty part of, of this record was I didn't have to do that because I, I chose to write them in order because I felt like that was the only way that I yeah. could do it. You just went one to 12. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a little bit of jumping around. The funny stuff happened of like, we wrote song, the first song, and I thought it was the first song. And my friend Rachel and I were like, wow, that, that this is the most depressing thing I've ever heard. Like, no one's going to listen to this album. <laughs> this is the first song. It's a song called Cry Out to You, and there's really no hope in it. And it's just mm-hmm. all I can do is cry out to you is basically what it says. And so we thought, no, we need, we need a different song, number one. So we went back, and I kind of looked at it with all my my... Uh, leading worship and being on a church staff for a bunch of years at Midtown, I, I felt like we need a call to worship. Like we need, mm-hmm. we need something that is going to bring the people together. And and I went back and looked at the passage, uh, and Joel has a call to worship. Oh yeah, yeah. He says, "Hear this, you elders." Uh-huh. Like, all right, there's there our go. call to worship. So yeah. that became the very first song. So we, I went back and we wrote song one, and the first song we wrote actually became song two. Uh-huh. And then it kind of ebbed and flowed from there. Uh, track six, I'm Not Alone. We started, but then I let go of it to kind of keep moving forward. And then I went back to it and backfilled it in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was a fun process. Yeah. Totally so, different. So 12 songs and the first five have are hopeless? He, yeah. He kind of said, he didn't give like a number. He said the first you know, the first chunk need to have, I want it to feel, I want it to be lamenting. I want mm-hmm. it to be mournful. I want, this is the heart of the book of Joel is your, your, your lamenting loss. Um, but you can have community be a part of it because that's very much a part of Joel's narrative is lament, but don't lament alone Yeah, because that's not what we're called to do. Mm. And so there, I mean, there's hope, but there's, if you know the restoration that God brings, then you know hope. But he kind of said, I don't want you to speak specifically of it. Yeah, You can hint at it. Mm-hmm. And so there's actually it's track four, a song called I Cannot Know You. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of my favorites on there. And there was actually a line in the second verse. And, it, and we, what we wrote was, um, in our desolation, hope is found. And when I looked, uh, I did this for my last record too, but I wrote all the lyrics on big white sticky sheets and put them on a wall. So I was looking at all of the songs together, Mm -hmm. which was a really fun process just to see the themes and make sure I wasn't saying words too many times and Mm -hmm. everything was connecting together. And I sat back and I looked at that with my friend Rob, who I wrote the song with, and we're like, yeah, we broke the rule. (laughs) We, We broke the rule. We need to go back and we changed it to, in our, to our desolation, we are bound just wow. a little, got to keep the rhyme. <laughs> but yeah, just kind of take that out because we were like, yeah, we didn't follow the rules. Wow. Okay, so you you got yourself in a bind on this project. Yeah. Um, two months out, you hadn't written any 
we, lyrics, and I, you, had, you had reserved studio, you paid for studio space, right? Yeah, I was probably seven, seven or eight songs in, and I had about four, or five. Well, no, I take that back. Probably halfway in, and I had six or seven songs to write before studio time. And then the like the last two weeks, I was like, okay, I got two and a half. I got two songs to finish and a couple bridges, uh-huh. and it's it's coming down the pike pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I want to I want to hear about the ways that those those limits. Mm-hmm. You know those those parameters. To what extent do they make it harder, and to what extent do they make it easier? Like I'm sure in some ways it, it, it I'm sure it was both, right? It's, in some ways yes. it made it harder, in some ways it made it easier. So so talk to me about that, especially given this this time constraint that you're on. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, um, I think the um, when when you have a deadline. Uh, and that rule is kind of in place that you've booked studio time, it lights the fire in a different way and not always the most productive way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, what it caused me to do was to really rely upon my community mm-hmm. and also listening more, like listening to what God was saying, especially this record is, is, is very, I felt like it was a, it was a, it was an exercise in listening to, where God wanted us to go in the journey. And so um, a lot of it felt like, okay, that's a lot of it felt like a lot of starts and stops and starts and stops of like, we would start a song. Nope. That's not the right one. Like Mm -hmm. it's track seven. We started probably seven different songs and it wasn't the right one because I knew what songs one, two, three, four, five, six Mm -hmm. were. Um, But the timeline of it, um, Again, I wouldn't necessarily recommend uh, it. It it really it made you it made you work. It made me work really hard. Like in that last few weeks, I was so ensconced in this of like thinking about it all the time. Yeah, um, my family was probably not too excited about that, and I apologized at the end of it. But. <laughs> Uh, yeah. that that it, it it was just constantly on my brain. I was constantly thinking about it. But to me, that's one of the most life giving times in my career, or in my kind of journey, is when I'm writing in that uh-huh. space. Mm-hmm. That's that that's all I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about anything else. Um, and there's a beauty to that. Uh, and keeping your eyes open and your ears open and aware of everything that's going on and how that's going to kind of help you write the songs that are that you're needing to write does um, that answer the and question that's, and that's well it's it partially i'm gonna okay. stay after you okay um when you talk about keeping your eyes open during that writing process i mm-hmm. I, I assume you mean in, in a more concentrated way during that period right i mean you're you're always observing i i'm e- guessing yes i one thing i took a sabbatical this winter after I finished this record because I was so exhausted. And one of the things that I realized on sabbatical was I have lost the ability, probably because the device that's in my pocket right now has taken away my ability to observe the way that I used to when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And it's really disconcerting Mm -hmm. uh, that my attention is, is drawn or my attention is, is compromised by that, to the point where I don't, as much as I used to in my late 20s, early 30s, be aware of 
people that are around me, people in the grocery store, stories that I hear. Like I used to carry this pad around and I used yeah. to write stuff down by, by hand all the time. And yeah. over a sabbatical in this winter, I was like, I need to get back to that. Yeah. I, need, I, feel like, I feel like I'm being told things and I'm being given nuggets and God's speaking to me and it goes in one ear or I don't even hear it and then it goes out the other. Yeah, yeah. Do, um, what are you doing about that? Uh, I'm carrying a book around. Carrying the book around. Yep. And being not pulling the uh, the phone out. Yep. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, part of the challenge here is that even if you put your phone up, the people who 15 years ago would be telling stories around you, yeah. they're looking at their phone. Yeah, that's very true. And that's a bit of a that's a bit of a challenge. Yes. I feel like there's a movement though to get back to where we were. My my time on sabbatical was like I need to remember that I survived without this before. Yeah, <laughs> like I functioned quite well, quite well before. Yeah, and I was probably more aware and more in tune and more inspired than I was before I had the device. Yeah. Um. Okay. So within we're not so so you've given the caveat that you don't recommend yes this time crunch um, within the time crunch. Um, since since that couldn't be helped, uh-huh. or it could have been, but it wasn't helped. Let's yes. put it that way. Yeah, um, partially self inflicted. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, the 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 parameters, you know, the the guardrails that were put up around your writing. Yeah. How did those help you get through that difficult time? Um, I think having the boundaries uh, kind of helped keep me helped keep me from going off the road down a tangent mm-hmm. uh, but it also made it I mean it was a blessing and a curse it made it more challenging because I had to make sure that what I was doing fit into this box mm-hmm. but then the beauty of the box was I knew exactly where I was trying to aim yeah um, the trick with co-writing was to bring my friends along and show them the box and say, this is where we have to land. Yeah. And then like suggesting things outside of the box, but then I had to bring them back and say, no, we gotta, we gotta get it here. We actually can't use he to talk about God. We, mm-hmm. we need to use the word God or we need to figure out a different way. Mm-hmm. So it was really kind of a mind, a little bit of a mind bender in terms of normally when I write, I just write and what comes out comes out and the songs, you know, are what they are. But this was very much, it was, it was sort of like a wrestling match, uh-huh. every song. Yeah. Has anything changed about your writing process as a result? Or are you just going to go? I right have not written to... a thing since. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, that unfortunately is that kind of the journey that I'm on. I, I write for a record and I don't like it that, that it's that way. Yeah. But I, I was so exhausted after it. I just yeah. needed to step back and, yeah. and just take a breath. So the fact that you mostly write for records, does that mean that you don't write a lot of stuff that you don't use? Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 That's. They're, You're not one of these ten and two guys who's nope you know, writing nope because most of my time is spent on the road or yeah uh, living life or cutting mm-hmm. the grass or being yeah, with right. my boy and my wife or yeah 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 living yeah it's, it's, it's it, I, I didn't even know the phrase I, I should probably clarify what a ten and two yeah. writer is mm-hmm. um, you tell what a ten and two writer is my guess is you have two writing appointments and you write at ten and you write at two yeah right yeah that's yeah. Is that not a phrase people use? Uh, in this town, probably, but I don't yeah, right. use it because yeah, I, right. I don't. I look at co-writing as I'm going to go spend time with a friend 
and we're going to hang out. And if we get a song, awesome. And if we don't, uh-huh. that, yeah, yeah. that's probably why I don't have a publishing deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, you should be. Yeah, these 10 and 2 guys see Christopher. Yeah. I don't uh, know if I could do that. Really? Yeah, that's probably a different kind of box yeah. that I would have to figure out yeah. and to be able to step into. And they right. have their rules as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, that's right. The, the 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 ten and two guys don't have the freedom to write exactly you know whatever they they're they're yeah. writing those hits. But but the idea of you know twice a day I'm going to write a song, knowing that most of those songs are going to be not usable. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I want to have one of those guys in for this yeah. for one of these conversations because be that's because that's a really interesting way of approaching the work too. You know the idea that if I write enough quantity, some of it's going to be good, which is true by the way yeah you know yeah you're it's, you're exercising that muscle more frequently mm-hmm. it's sort of like object writing for me of when uh, i used to do that a lot in the season and when you take time to write a kind of a object writing of you're writing about an object and it takes you to a place the more you do that the better your muscle the stronger your muscles come so that when you get down to write something that you really care about you can get there really fast yeah yeah, I I think this, I can't remember if this was in um, probably in Madeline Lingle's book. Um, she was talking about, or somebody in some book I was reading was talking about a um, a, a pottery class mm-hmm. that the professor told half the class, "You're going to be graded on quantity. It's how many pots you can crank out." Wow. And and the other half of the class, or another class, or whatever, I don't know, I'm sure the details of it, but he said, "You know, you're turning in two things. I got to be good." <laughs> And the the people who had to do two froze up, and they you know they the, they devoted all their energy to these two. Wow! And of the people who were just cranking out a dozen pots, for the most part, they had two two of those two dozen pots out. were better than the than the two <laughs> than the two pots that the other that's people. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, and I don't know how to, the extent to which that's applicable. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I know. I was asking Andrew Peterson the other day how often he how many songs as he throw away says not many because he's like you he writes for he yep. writes for records yep. so he's not writing a bunch of things that that he's not planning on yep. using which i think it puts a lot it, it a puts a lot of pressure on it but also b really makes you hone your craft mm-hmm. and choose every single i feel like i choose every single word carefully yeah which is tedious yeah. and different than probably writing a, you know, a novel or lots of chapters. Like you yeah. can, you're not you're not stressing over every single word. And then the bonus of the music is that you have to make the lyrics fit to the music and mm-hmm. vice versa. And how mm-hmm. that, it's it's cool. It really is. I mean, it's, it, the, what y'all do is something I just I don't know how people do. The that. same thing. I couldn't do what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. Um, yes, yeah, songwriting is just a miracle to me. And mm-hmm. I mean, all writing's a miracle. Yeah. But there's a certain kind of writing that it's a miracle that I've participated in, and there's another kind of miracle that I just don't see any way into it. But the know? beauty is a, of of enjoying each other's that's right. gifts that we've been given. I think that's what we're called to do. Yeah, yeah. So that's right. Um, okay, so um, the one thing I, I like to to tell people, although I'm not always good at sort of living it out in my own life, is the idea that, that creativity is a is a river, not a reservoir. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that when you have a, when you put an idea on paper, it's not that you have one fewer idea in your head. There's a pretty good chance that you actually have more ideas in your head when you, mm-hmm. when you get it out. And I was thinking about you saying that after you finish the Gather record, you're like, I, you know, I got nothing else. I'm done. Yeah. Um, and 
And then it turns out there was more where that came from. Yeah. After all. Yeah. And there always is, right? Yep. And and one thing I you know appreciate about your your story that you just told is you know as that deadline came down, you you found actually I do have I do have more where that came from. Yeah. And whereas if you did and if you didn't have that deadline, and you're not under a deadline now, and things are, yeah, you know, not not flowing. Yeah. Yeah. For I'm you, not, I'm not pushing. And this this thing that feels like a a burden. This a a deadline. B this guy giving me all these rules. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was actually what got you through that process. Yep. Um, that the world wouldn't have this this record, which I love. You know, mm-hmm. this this beautiful record uh, we will remember. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't have happened if you didn't have this miserable deadline and also these rules. Yeah, absolutely. I, I the there's a song track eleven on the record is called the river. So it's fun that you brought that up. Um, and actually, I love all, that song. Oh, thank you. All, all throughout, um, I mean, all throughout Scripture, it uh, it talks about the river, the yeah. river flowing, and, and Revelation, and, and the end of Joel. There's a river that flows down from the mountains, and um, it, I think for me, the important thing to remember is the source of the river. Mm-hmm. As I think about my writing, and especially for this album, it's it's. Again, it's the awareness of paying attention to what's around me and what God's putting in front of me so that I can take that and kind of add. It's sort of like adding, it's not fuel, adding, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, He's giving me the water that's coming out. That's a terrible, terrible picture. Uh, an example. I was, it, okay, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I just interrupted you. I was going to say I, I the I was writing the river song. I booked the show in Boise, Idaho, mm-hmm. and then I had a show in Portland, Oregon. And for those of you who don't know the West Coast, you would think those are close together. They're not close together at all. <laughs> and I literally drove to Portland, played a concert, and then I drove all the way you back drove? to Boise. Yeah, drove all the way back to Boise. But the beautiful part about it was, I was writing the song called "The River." Uh-huh. And I knew that that was what the title was going to be. And uh, if you know Eastern Oregon, uh, it is just dry and desert. And so I left Idaho and was driving, and then you connect up to the Columbia River Gorge, which Uh is this massive river. And it's desert and desert. And the further west you go towards Portland, it gets greener and greener Mm -hmm. and greener and greener. So I, it was this beautiful image of scripture kind of coming out of Joel of this river that's pouring out and the new wine that will drip and and then this desert drive that I had all the way to Portland where I stopped at a rest area in the 90 degree heat blowing wind and and I pulled my guitar out and I started writing this song and then got to Portland played the show and on my way back stopped at the same rest area and finished the song wow it was so it was like that is that is I'm so glad you didn't fly yeah, it was it was a perfect thing. I I love riding in the car. I don't listen to a lot of music, and I had the windows down, and just sort of sort of that journey, that wrestling match with God. But also, what am I seeing? What's around me that is helping fuel what I'm trying to create? Yeah. Well, uh, on the subject of rivers and and, yeah. and water 
receptacles. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about the is it is it um, Jeremiah where it says you know you're digging your own cisterns and it's just not mm-hmm. it is not working for you. Yeah, and and I, I think create you know it, when it comes to creativity, we we so often are digging these cisterns and and hoping that that we're going to be good enough diggers that that this is going to happen. Yeah. Whereas there's this this river flowing yeah. that that you, know, you you said something about the flowing out. I wonder if it's almost like this river's flowing and, and we sort of dip into the river somehow. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I don't know I don't know what the right metaphor is here. You we're yeah. both kind of struggling with this how to work this metaphor out. But. The in the book the millennial narrative the the reason that I chose the river uh picture was Yako kind of describes it as God's river is already flowing. Yeah. And it's a question, do you want to step into what's happening or are you going to be on the side looking at the river? And the idea being churches, this is kind of the premise, one of the premises of the book is, do you want to uh, make a new river that you want millennials to step into mm-hmm. or do you want to step into the culture and the heart of who they are because that river's already flowing. They have accountability. They have social justice blowing through them. Mm. Like, do you want to create something new, or do you want to step into what they're already doing? And that's kind of the premise is, no, we want to step in. As a yeah. church, we need to step into what's already happening and come alongside mm-hmm. and bring Jesus into the midst of that. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Um, okay, I'm, let's see. I had something else. Oh, real quickly, can you talk okay. a bit about your big sticky sheets? Oh yeah, for sure. Just as as a process thing, I'm interested yeah, in that idea. Yeah, I've never never I did it for the Gather record and I did it for this record and I've never done it before. But the the idea was I wanted to get often I kind of wrestle between writing by hand in my black no-line book mm-hmm. and then I and my computer with the quick Microsoft edits. And so this was a different like a third approach of I want to be able to look at everything in one shot like i want to and we have our upstairs we have this vaulted ceiling so the wall uh is pretty tall and so i laid out all the songs just to see like what words are popping out Hmm. unintentionally or subconsciously and then am i saying this too much or is this just kind of like uh, in uh, beautiful mindish, but also yeah. memento-ish of like, I need to see where all the dots, I just want to connect yeah. all the dots and make sure that this journey is making sense. So yeah. when it came time to writing the We Will Remember record, I, it because of the nature of writing the songs in order and the themes running throughout and the process of it, I really wanted to make sure that it was a journey that I was seeing from top to bottom. And the first time I played all these songs straight in order, before we went into the studio, I invited 20 folks over to my house and I played through all the songs and left all the lyrics up Yeah. so that they could listen to whatever they, they could listen or they could read the lyrics that they're listening to or read something else that was happening. It was just really wow. cool. Yeah, a really cool experience to just, you, you, to be able to see the lyrics kind of come to life, but then to draw the themes throughout each. Um, it's, yeah. I, I don't think I will ever make a record without doing it again. Yeah. I, I love the, the, the idea of sort of bringing this into the physical yeah. world. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, so um, especially in book writing, I mean, at least when you write a song, you can go play the song. Yeah. In book writing, it kind of feels like, especially in that book, I mean, okay, book writing, at least you have a book, but 
so much of what I write ends up on the internet. Yep. Or an email or something. Yeah. And every now and then I just need something. I need a physical, tangible, tangible, mm-hmm. literally tangible thing, you know, that I've produced. And, yeah. Which sometimes that means going and doing like a, a lino cut, a block print or something like that. I yep. do that every now and then. That's, that's that's something that just to have something to do with my, yeah. that's creative to do with my hands. But but I just, that, that really sort of, I've never heard of anybody, you know, using the big sticky sheets before, but I, I love, I love that idea. And it's a fascinating thing with the music business now of like, there, there is no, like, there is no tangibility. Yeah. It's all, it's all digital. Yeah. And so there's no, I feel like we've lost a lot of that mm-hmm. tangibility with the way people consume music. Yeah. The, the, uh, the liner notes and the, yeah. or the, or the album covers, you know, yep. and, and the, the ordering, you know, the, the fact that, that, that I don't get to choose what order to play my songs. I mean, the, the songs that I've bought. Yeah. It's what what the uh, the maker of the music chose that order he chose is is the order that I yep. experienced Absolutely. in. That. Yeah. Thanks so much, Christopher. I, I loved hearing hearing about your process and uh, and I'm gonna go. I think after this is over, I'm gonna go listen to your record again oh, because I like you. it that much. I appreciate it. Thank thanks so much. much. Yeah. Thanks See for having me. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio and the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. Special shout out as well to the Arcadian Wild for allowing us to use their delightful song, Finch in the Pantry, as part of this podcast. Check out their album of the same name for more excellent music. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to fostering Christ-centered community and spiritual formation through music, story, and art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.